Amen and amen. How's everyone doing today? We good? Man, that was fun celebrating our king in worship this morning, huh? I, I loved it. That was so good. Um, if you're new to the transit, we go through books of the Bible from uh, the, the stage, the pulpit up here. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 14, Acts 14, 8 through 20. As you're turning there or tapping there, uh, I'm going to do a quick recap of where we're at in the book of Acts. So what we've seen so far these past couple weeks is the Apostle Paul and Barnabas there on their first missionary journey that came about through the Holy Spirit setting them apart in the middle of kind of a prayer and worship night in Antioch. And I'll show you the map of their travels so far where we're at. So feel free to pull up that map. So if you look at the map, you see if we start in the right, the number one, that's where they're at in Antioch. That's their home church. The church sent them westbound to Cyprus. We saw the kingdom of God come in Cyprus and Paphos. And then where we've been at the last two weeks, they've uh, traveled northbound into what is modern-day Turkey, the, re- the region of Galatia. Uh, and Paul, basically, Paul and Barnabas go, and they advance the kingdom. They make disciples, and they plant churches. And so Galatians is a letter written to the churches scattered throughout Antioch, Iconium, Iconium, and so on and so forth. And so if you were here last week, Joe preached an amazing sermon on uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas going and preaching the gospel to the Jews in Antioch and Iconium. And, and where our text left off last week is in Acts 14, 6 through 7. Paul and Barnabas learned of the threat that came to them to kill them. They learned of it. The Jews were not happy that they were proclaiming that the Messiah had come and his name was Jesus. And so they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding city, country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So where we're at in our text today is um, Paul and Barnabas are kind of in a Uh, If you look at that map again, a small town known as Lystra. This was a frontier outpost of the Roman Empire, kind of like a wild west town in the middle of nowhere, if that makes sense. So it's much smaller than Antioch and Iconium. Uh, There was no Jewish synagogue. It was primarily Gentile and pagan. And uh, the only temple in that region or, 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 or worship building, if you will, was a temple to Zeus uh, at the city gate. And what we're going to see in our text today is something amazing is... um, The kingdom of God comes in power, and there's a crippled man, a man who's been crippled from birth in Lystra, who's healed. He's healed. It's amazing. God just heals him. He's never walked a day in his life. And there comes a day in his life where Paul and Barnabas come to Lystra, and he walks. And then what happens is revival breaks out in Lystra, and everyone gives their lives to Jesus. That's not what happens. A riot breaks out after this. And everyone begins to worship Zeus and Hermes, all right? And so what we're going to see today in our text, uh, the title of my sermon is this, is God's goodness and man's foolishness. God's goodness even in spite of man's foolishness. Because in our text today, we see a contrast between the living God's intentional, generous, kind, loving pursuit of humanity and the response of humanity being a foolish, hardened heart rejecting that loving kindness, okay? So who here is, a quick side note, who here is excited about Thanksgiving? Anyone here excited about Thanksgiving? Yeah, yeah, what are, what are some of your favorite Thanksgiving meal, kind of food, comfort food items? Shout it out. Mac and cheese. Mac and cheese. Hallelujah, who said that? Yes, amen. I wasn't expecting that. Some good mac and cheese, what else? What? Pecan pie. Is it pecan or pecan, doesn't matter, it's delicious. Pecan pie. Anyone, anyone spicing up a turkey this year, like frying it or bacon wrapping it? Anyone? Any show of hands? Frying? Yes. Thank you, God. That's a, that's a debate every Thanksgiving is that turkey always comes out super dry, so you have to bathe it in 
five gallons, or, or just buy a ham instead for the glory of Jesus, all right? So um, what Scripture teaches is that our God is creator of all things, and we're going to see in our text he's sustainer of all things, and, and that he actually provides, and God's common grace we're looking at is both to his children and to those who are not his children, pagans, he provides continually grace and favor and food and gladness of hearts to them. So in a way, the Lord has pre- prepared kind of a perpetual in his creation Thanksgiving banquet and feast before humanity. Uh, all the, 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 the bells and whistles, pecan pie and bacon wrapped turkey and all these things. And what humanity does is they complain that they complain about it, right, in our sinfulness, right? We turn from God, we complain, we, we receive that loving kindness, and we say, well, the turkey's a little bit dry. And uh, who made this stuffing? It's got too much butter in it, you know? And then we reject it, and we leave God's table. We spurn his loving kindness, and we say, I'm going to go feast with these gods over here and the food that they're going to offer. And so God has prepared an abundance of his kindness and richness to us, and we reject that and instead go to Taco Bell and eat from the dollar menu um, and worship false gods. And that's what we see in our text um, today is this is how the town of Lystra responds. And the big idea, what I want to put before us today is this, is, is one to remind us, just so often we can forget, it's been a rough two years, right? It's just been a rough two years and we can always focus on what we lack. But in, in the text today, I want to just remind us of God's goodness and his faithfulness to us, his provision. In our text today, it says that God fills our bellies with food. And he fills our hearts, the hearts of men, with gladness, with joy. But that's God. That's God's blessing to us, his common grace to all of humanity. And I wanna, what I want to um, present to us this morning is how will we respond this morning to his kindness that we're reminded of in Scripture, okay? Will, we, will our hearts be softened and will repent and thank and worship Jesus and live in the blessing of God? Or will we double down on our sin, our ungratefulness, and continue to worship idols instead. And so our text breaks down into four, to four scenes. We're going to go through this uh, verse by verse. And uh, the four scenes are this. They all start with the letter C, uh, just to make it classy. Um, and the first scene we're going to see is that the kingdom of God comes. The second scene is that the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of darkness confuses. And then thirdly, we're going to see the kingdom of God is clarified. Paul and Barnabas clarified. They bring the truth, clarification to the confusion. And then at the end, we see that the kingdom of darkness calcifies and hardens the hearts of those in Lystra. So let's pray, and then we'll dive into this verse by verse. So Heavenly Father, we, um, we come before you recognizing that it's only in you that we live and move and have our being. And so we say thank you, God, for the breath in our lungs. Thank you for the shoes on our feet. Thank you for uh, the, the, the caffeine flowing through our veins, for the, 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 the clothes on our back, Lord God, the fridge full of food. All of these are from your hands. Your word says that every good and perfect gift is from above. So we come before you, all of creation, humanity crying out, your, your, your family crying out to you, your sons and daughters saying, thank you, God. You have never done us wrong. You've provided for us richly and abundantly more than we could ever dare ask or imagine. And you perpetually give us that which we don't deserve. So thank you, God. And thank you ultimately for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who came and took our place on the cross to absorb the wrath that was due our sins so we could come here 2,000 years later with peace, perfect peace with God, enjoying perfect fellowship with your presence forevermore, knowing that sin, death, and the devil no longer have any claim on our lives, but our victory belongs to Jesus Christ, our resurrected King. So thank you for the precious gift of your Son 
and how even in spite of our rejection of your love or our hearts being prone to wander, you continue to chase after us with your goodness and your kindness. And so we pray that this morning uh, you would be glorified, that Jesus would be magnified, and you would have your way with our hearts and our minds and our souls uh, this morning, Lord Jesus. Give us eyes to see and hearts to hear what you have for us, and may we leave here with hearts softened from your undeserved love to us in all the ways that you bless us. And uh, we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, the kingdom of God comes, verses 8 through 10. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet, and boom, Nick Mudgell translation, boom, he sprang up and began walking. Okay, so paint the picture here. Paul and Barnabas are doing their thing. They're in the public square, small town of Lystra, preaching Jesus, preaching Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. And while Paul is speaking to the Lord, he's listening to the Holy Spirit. He's yielded to the Spirit's leading. And all out of nowhere, he sees something on a guy. He sees something, and it says in the text, he saw that there was faith on this man, that this man had faith to be made well. And so he stops in the middle of preaching Jesus in the Square and he stops and he gives a he gives like an awesome, awesome prayer for healing, right? Like it's 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 stand, like stand up. He goes, uh, Gloria Estefan, like Estefan, you know, get on your feet, get up and make it happen. And then the boom, the dude, the dude gets on his feet. He gets up on his feet, and it says in the text that he sprang up to life. He jumped up to life, and I imagine that's when you cue the 80s music and he's dancing, and the town, the, the crowd goes wild, right? Absolutely wild. This man who never walked a day in his life is now leaping, uh, jumping up, uh, and, and, and praising. Hopefully, we're going to see. Hopefully, it was Jesus. But the town and the kingdom of darkness kind of hijacked that. But it begs the question: How did this man's healing come about, and why did this come about? And what it does, what our text doesn't say, is that the apostle Paul just saw that he was crippled and then decided to pray healing for him. That's not what we see in our text. What we see in our text is that what's pretty clear is that it wasn't just a physical revelation that this man had faith to be made well, but it was a supernatural revelation. Meaning this man wasn't wearing a a trucker hat that said, Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, I believe can heal me and give me new legs. Like that's not, that's not what we see here. No, the impression in every commentary I read says that it was supernatural revelation that the Holy Spirit had given Paul this message, that it was the Holy Spirit revealing that to the Apostle Paul. And what we've seen so far in Acts, and it, and, and it bears repeating, and it bears for us to kind of hunker down uh, and spend a little time on this, what we've seen so far in the book of Acts is how, listen, absolutely fundamental and critical to the advancement of the kingdom of God, it is for the church of Jesus Christ to listen to the Holy Spirit, to posture our hearts, to listen to his prompting, and his voice to seek his, his presence and to listen. And then when he responds and when he answers and when he puts things, impressions or thoughts that flash across our mind to obey and yield and listen to the Holy Spirit. Right? I could share example after example. This past year since February, we've been in Acts of the Holy Spirit leading his people 
and advancing his kingdom. Because the only, and I'll just share one example, the only reason Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra is because uh, in Antioch, uh, maybe a few months or a few years before this, they were praying and the Holy Spirit said, you two are going to go. That's why this came about. And the only reason this man got healed is because the Holy Spirit said, pray for that man. He's got faith to be made well. This is what J.D. Greer says. And I've shared this quote before, but it bears repeating. J.D. Greer says uh, this in his book, Jesus Continued, which is a great book. A quick read of Acts reveals that the Spirit of God is the primary actor. He guides, he speaks, and he moves. The disciples are simply trying to keep up. It becomes readily clear that the Holy Spirit, not them, is the one accomplishing the mission Jesus gave them in Acts 1a. And tragically, what we see in our context today in the 21st century church, Western church, is that it's reverse. We lead and we, we still, you know, I got nothing against leadership or business principles from the secular world, but we just, you, we punt to our own ingenuity, our own wisdom, and we go and implement certain things and we ask God's blessing upon it rather than being yielded and saying, God, where are we going? Where do you want? Humbling ourselves and saying, we need you. We can't do this without your presence, right? And so a question for us today is this is transit family, do we live our lives like the Spirit of God is within us? Like if you're here today and you're a cessationist, you believe God's Holy Spirit is inside of you, right? We're continuationists here. We believe the gifts of the Spirit have continued, but no matter what, if you're an Orthodox evangelical Christian, you believe that God, Holy Spirit, indwells you. And I have a hunch that if God wants to hang out with me, that he might have some good things to say. Or to reveal, I mean, there's some days I don't want to hang out with me. But every day, Christ died so that I could receive the precious gift of the Holy Spirit inside of me. And that means I have a relationship both now and forevermore. We understand, I hope we understand that the the, the end of the gospel, the chief end of the gospel, is that we get God. We get the fullness of his presence for all of eternity. His presence is heaven. And we get kind of the, the Ephesians 1 talks about the deposit in our hearts of what our inheritance is going to be, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so are we living our lives yielded, asking God to speak, expecting him to speak, and yielding and listening to him when he speaks? There's uh, a couple questions I try to ask myself every morning, and I've started to ask my, my kids this as the Lord. I want my mind to be framed uh, uh, not by the, 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 the culture around us or this world, but conformed to the likeness of Christ. And one of the questions I try to ask myself every day is, what was one thing God spoke to me today? And I ask a different question in the morning, but every morning I want to be posturing myself, what am I going to do to posture myself, to put myself in the place to hear God's prompting, to hear his voice, opening up his word and letting the Holy Spirit uh, search me through that, and then prayer and worship, what am I going to do? And I ask my kids that. I want them to know that he, they serve and worship a living God who is present with them. And the, the, way, the reason the Holy Spirit is with us to empower us to go and obey Acts 1.8, to go and make, make disciples of all nations. And uh, uh, this Friday afternoon, uh, as, as this was just the grace of God, it's Friday afternoon, I'm walking into this building uh, and um, uh, I, I'm not asking necessarily God to speak. I'm not necessarily listening. But as I'm walking up to the building, I see a guy on the bench uh, sitting outside, and immediately I felt this impression. Uh, the, the Lord's going, hey, I want you to talk to that guy. And in my head, I'm going, I don't want to talk to that guy. You know, I don't know that guy. And then I'm going, what am I going to say? And I felt the second impression that, well, I want you to pray for his brother. And um, so I'm telling my kids this Friday, later that night around the dinner table, and um, I go, you want to know what daddy did? 
to, to when God prompted him to do that? You want to know what I believe was God? I didn't listen. And my, 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 uh, I went back, I, went, I just went into the church. And my daughter, Stephanie's face was like, just like a gas, like, you did what? You know, like, like no exaggeration. She goes like that. And I said, yeah, you know, daddy's not perfect. And, and I went into the church lobby here. I unlocked it and I got before the Lord and I said, you know, Holy Spirit, if this is you, I listen no matter what. And I don't want this to be me or the coffee I just drank. Is this you? And I felt a clear nudge that, hey, this was, this was like, hey, this is me and you better obey. So I went back out and thankfully the man was still sitting there. And, and, and I just went up, started talking to him. about. I didn't, I didn't lead in with anything crazy. I just asked him how he was doing, asked his name and all this stuff. And I said, hey, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus. And sometimes uh, when I go about my day, sometimes the Lord, I feel like, will highlight people that he wants me to talk to you and pray for. Is there anything I could be praying for you about? And uh, this man, he needed a job in two days. He needed a job. And so I was able to pray that God would give him a job. And I asked if he had a brother. I felt like I, I could pray for his brother. He's like, yeah, my brother's going to Sierra Leone. He's going to Africa uh, uh, either this week or next week. Could you pray for him? I was like, yeah, absolutely. And I was able to pray for him. And it was amazing. I even told him, I was like, dude, like, I'm, I, I, I'm shy. I'm an introvert. I, I hardly do this, but I'm a follower of Jesus. And I just want to bless you. And he was totally blessed by it. He was totally open to it. And sometimes when, when I do that, it gets, you know, rejected and all that stuff. But that's how the kingdom of God advances. I didn't set out, what I'm saying is I didn't set out that day to like, I'm going to share my faith with 15 different people and be a mighty evangelist. Lord, let that be. We should do that. But it was the posture of my heart was, God, I want to yield. Where are you going, Jesus? And am I going with you? Who do you want to highlight? Where do you want to go? And let me partner with you in that. And I, and I fail. There's been countless times where I quenched the spirit. Even in that moment, God was gracious, where I didn't obey right away. But the point that I'm trying to make is this, is that the way the kingdom of God advances in Acts is by us yielded to the spirit, listening to those promptings and realizing that he does speak. My sheep know my voice. And so what are we doing to yield and to posture ourselves to hear his voice. And if we were to ask the question, how did the kingdom of God come to Lystra? The answer would be by the Holy Spirit. Paul saw the revelation by the Spirit and that faith tied to healing. So here's the deal. Whenever we talk about healing in the church, the million dollar question that we need to ask this text today is because this is what the whole debate, the, the whole controversy that happens in this text today is this. The million dollar question is when someone gets healed, who or what gets the credit for the healing, right? Who gets the glory? Who, who gets credit in this man's account for his healing? Here are some options of where we could give credit. We could say the reason this man was healed was because of his faith. That this man's faith is why he got healed. And so therefore he could puff out his chest and credit his faith to having some divine powers to heal him so that he gets the glory. And if everyone else was just like him, they could also get healed if they just had the faith that he had. And it's, it's, it's likened to this. Say someone's uh, having a heart attack at their house and they're about to die and flatline and they have faith that if they call 911 that medical help will come and they actually get healed and they puff out their chest that was about to explode and they say, man, I had faith that if I called that people would come and save me, I'm awesome and my faith saved me. No, that didn't save you at all. It was the fact that when you called, people came and the, the, the credit belongs to the EMTs, right? The first responders who healed you, okay? Uh, the second place we could give faith, uh, credit, credit uh, 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 the healing, is Paul's faith. Well, it's Paul's obedience. It was Paul's, Paul's yieldness. It was Paul's faith. So therefore, he's worthy to receive glory and honor or, or at least something that we maybe wrestle with is, okay, well, yeah, sure, it was Jesus who healed him, but we can give Paul maybe 5% or 10% of the royalties that come from this, right? Just like, like 10% of the glory, 
right? And maybe Paul wants, and sometimes maybe we want to wiggle under that and share some of the glory that, that, oh, it was my obedience or, you know, whatever, at least get partial credit. But what we see clearly in this text and the way Paul and Barnabas respond to who tries to get credit for this is that the sole reason this man got healed was because of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ's compassion for this man. Um, often we want uh, faith to be very transactional, if I have faith, God has to heal. And so we have our faith then in a process that if I press the right faith buttons, transactionally, God is obligated to give me the healing. And faith doesn't come through a process. Healing doesn't come through a process. Healing comes through a person. And his name is Jesus. And so we have to be very careful. We've got to guard our hearts above, yes, faith is so crucial to healing. We see Jesus emphasize that. But at the end of the day, faith is not introspective. It's extrospective. Faith is not looking inward at our own faith and mustering up our own faith. Because if it's by our faith we get healed, then we get all the credit for our healing. And we get proud. Rather than saying it's Jesus and his sheer grace alone and being blown away in humble gratitude. Man, Jesus healed my body. Thank you, God. I didn't deserve that. And he's gracious. And so instead of a transactional process, I believe scripture teaches us a relational process. That faith is faith in a person, not faith in faith, not faith in a process or a transaction, but in a relational connection to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And so when this healing comes, the demonic does a full court press to completely redirect the credit and take glory for the miracle. And this is what happens next. The kingdom of God comes and then the kingdom of darkness confuses, verses 11 through 13. And when the crowd saw that Paul had, what, had, what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down in us in the likeness of man. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. And so almost instantly, instead of Jesus, who Paul was testifying to, getting glory and worship, this scene turns into kind of a demonic worship service where, Paul, where, where Zeus and Hermes are being worship because they think now Paul and, and Barnabas are manifestations of Zeus and Hermes. Zeus was the uh, chief deity of the uh, pantheon in, in Greek religion. He was the ruler, seen as the ruler and, and protector and provider of, of men, that he sent rain and thunder and, and lightning and seasons of, of fruitfulness and harvest to people. And, and then Hermes was the, uh, the herald, the messenger, the propaganda arm, if you will, of the uh, pantheon. And so they thought that Paul, because he was the chief speaker, was Hermes. And uh, maybe uh, some uh, commentators think that Barnabas was a little bit uh, older. Maybe he resembled Zeus. He had some long curly hair and was walking around with a thunderbolt. And so they thought that Barnabas was Zeus. But anyways, the whole town of uh, Lystra responds to the kingdom of God coming with an all-out worship session to these pagan gods. They're opening up their mouths. They're chanting, you know, worship to them. The, live, the gods have manifested among us. And then somebody dialed up the, the chief priest Zeus, or, or maybe he ran back to the temple and is rolling like 10 oxen deep to begin to just slaughter these things to, to worship Paul. And like, like, that's just straight pagan demonic blood sacrifice to false gods. Like that's a big deal. And they have garlands that they're trying to, you know, place on uh, Zeus and Hermes' head. And long story short, this is the exact opposite of what Paul and Barnabas intended, where now Paul and Barnabas are being worshipped and glorified 
over Jesus. And so immediately what we see here is that when the kingdom of God comes, you better believe there's going to be a counteract of the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness is going to come, and if, if, the, if Satan can't stop the miracle, if Satan can't stop the kingdom of God coming, he's going to confuse it. He's going to do everything he can to make sure credit isn't given where credit is due or distort it and, 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 and redirect it and redirect the momentum. And that's exactly what we see here. And if we were to ask, well, how did this all happen? How did this amazing miracle of a man jumping out of a wheelchair and walking gets so twisted to being credited to pagan gods. Well, it's really easy. The enemy did a subtle shift of focus. He shifted the focus to the healers, not to the Jesus the healers were testifying to. You see that danger? Just a, all, it takes is, all it takes for the kingdom of darkness to have a field day is for us to focus our eyes on man and not on Christ. So he takes the focus off of uh, Jesus and puts it on the healers, and everyone begins to worship the healers. And um, I think what we see and what we saw happen in Lystra is what we've seen happen in America for the past 50 years with faith healers. Right? Like, like watch this. Like, I think the temptation maybe would have come across Paul and Barnabas' mind that, you know, Paul and Barnabas are trying to figure out what's happening, and then Paul all of a sudden goes over to Barnabas and goes, bro, they think you're Zeus. Like, this is crazy. Like, they think you're Zeus. They're sacrificing these things to us. And maybe, just maybe, right, that flicker of temptation would have come across their way and say, wow, we could rule this town. We could rule this town. Imagine the power that we could have. Imagine the glory in this. Anything we want, could think or imagine. I mean, we could set up thrones in the temple. People would be coming from all over. I mean, we could franchise this thing. I mean, wealth, power, glory, all, all of that. We could, we could use God and his presence and his power um, in a trafficking sense and exploit the person of the Holy Spirit for our financial gain. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And unfortunately, that's what we've seen with faith healers who are rolling $300 million deep um, and have set up a kingdom for themselves for people to bow down and worship them and uh, glorify them and build their kingdom and build their brand instead of it being all about Jesus. Instead of freely giving, freely, freely, freely we receive, freely we give, and it's, it's write your check to receive your healing. And um, by God's grace, thankfully, uh, Paul and Barnabas didn't have this response. And uh, they show us what the response is to be. And there is a faith healer, uh, quote-unquote faith healer. There's a man of God who God has used mightily uh, probably these past 40 years to, uh, to, see, to, bring, to bring the kingdom through healing. And uh, I was at a conference where this man spoke. And this man is just a humble man of God who just loves Jesus and has been used powerfully by God. And he shared this story. I'm going to retell it just because I think it's so important. There was a night, I believe the story goes like this. There was a night in a small Baptist church, kind of in the middle of nowhere, where the whole, this Holy Spirit broke out in power. And people were coming to him as he was praying for people. People were just, the Spirit of God was coming upon them powerfully. They were getting healed. The meeting went till like 2 a.m. It was exhilarating. God was really among them doing crazy things. And all these people were kind of running to him for prayer and healing. And he says, he testifies to this. He says, and I heard the near audible, crystal clear voice of God tell me this. Roughly 40 years ago, kind of day one of his journey into healing ministry. He says, if you touch this, it will kill you. If you dare touch an ounce or a drop of this glory and think it's about you or think it's because of you, it will kill you. It will kill you. And I can, I can testify from watching this guy for the past couple of years from a distance is that guy has stayed true to that. 
super humble and always pointing people that it is not about me. It is about God's glory and the good of others. And it is not about building any kingdom or, or any of, of, of that. And that's our response. And so what I want to challenge us with is this. If we want to be about the kingdom and we want to yearn, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts and pursue love and prophecy and the gifts of healing, we need to always ask ourselves, put before us, why? Why do we desire that? Is it so we can be known as awesome, rocking Christians and, and all that stuff? Or is, it, or is it because we want God to be glorified and for the kingdom of God to come to others? That God would just use little old me, just, just a, a, a man of flesh and bones, to be used mightily to advance his kingdom in love? Is it about his glory and the good of others? Or is it about my good and my glory, right? And we are called to pursue the gifts, but pursue them with the right Heart. And this is the response that Paul and Barnabas have to receiving glory through this healing. And this is verses 14 through 17. Paul and, and Barnabas here clarify what uh, is a rightful response to healing. Verse 13, here we go. 14, and when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you, and we bring good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heavens and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And so the response of Zeus and Hermes here, uh, Paul and Barnabas, what they're doing here is as quickly and as visibly as they can, they're deflecting all the glory that was being rendered to them, and they shouted who the glory should belong to. They rendered their garments. That signifies uh, uh, basically mourning or distress or hearing blasphemy. If we're to ask, well, which one is it in this situation? Yes, it's all three. Their distress of the response is blasphemous that demons, uh, demon gods are getting credit uh, for this healing, and then they run into the crowd screaming, shut it down, stop, down the, stop this worship session we're just men i'm sure they're dodging crowns and garlands you know as people are trying to to anoint them and crown them with many crowns that they're zeus and hermes like get away from me you zealots like stop worshiping me uh like akin to toy story when all the things worship the claw anyways um and they shout i love what they shout to the crowd we bring you good news we bring you much better news than than us being zeus and hermes and the good news is this is one the great news is we're, we're nothing to bow down and worship. We are not Zeus. We are not Hermes. Do not follow us. We are coming on behalf of another, right? We make crummy gods. We are not trying to solicit your money or your worship. We are here to testify to the resurrected king who has radically changed our life, okay? So do not, we are not Zeus and Hermes. Two, Zeus and Hermes don't exist. They are not gods. The good news is this. Like, like all your worship is a complete vanity. It's a complete waste of time. And the good news, the great news that we are declaring to you is that there is only one true and living God who created all things and his hard posture towards you. Even when you in sinful ignorance were worshiping other gods and, and didn't know him and were refusing to obey him is that this true living God, his heart posture towards you is love and kindness. And I love verse 17 when he says this, the true and living God did not leave himself without witness to you, without a testimony of his goodness and his existence to you. He's saying in verse 16, even in the waiting for the Messiah to come through the one nation in Israel, the fullness of time, the Messiah coming, uh, the promise given to Abram through uh, uh, his offspring, 
through the nation of Israel, all the nations will be blessed. Even in that period of waiting for the other nations, God was loving and caring for and providing and setting up witnesses to the pagan nations of his existence and his goodness. So Romans 1 would say that man is without excuse. Man is without excuse. And um, what are those witnesses? Verse 17. Verse 17, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness, food and gladness. And so what Paul is saying here is even while you've been living in ignorance, sacrificing to false gods and living in sin, the true and living God has literally rained down blessing, favor, kindness, and provision upon you. It's not from Zeus's hand. Zeus is not your provider. Zeus is not ruler and protector. His name is Jesus. And all the blessings that have come to your life are actually from his hand. Even when you didn't know him, he knew you. And if you've experienced the bountiful harvest, that was because of Jesus Christ's love for you. If you've experienced favorable weather for your crops to grow, that was God's love and favor and kindness to you. If your heart has been filled with food, that was God's provision for you. If your uh, heart was filled with joy, that was God's kindness to you. And what we learn here is the lesson about God's common grace, not just his grace shown to the sons and daughters of God cleansed by the blood of the lamb, but also God's common grace to all of humanity, that God is good and favorable to all of humanity. This is what a common grace is defined by John Murray. Every favor, every blessing of whatever kind or degree falling short of salvation, which this undeserving and sin-cursed world enjoys at the hand of God. So any blessing short of salvation that comes to Christian or non-Christian is a blessing from the hand of God because of his kindness and his goodness and his compassion and his mercy to them. Matthew 5, 44 through 45. This is what Jesus says. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends his blessing of rain on the just and on the unjust. What Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, what is our motivation to love our enemies? Well, sons and daughters should, should live like their father does. And their father loves his enemies. Uh, our father is good to his enemies in his common grace. He causes rain and seasons of bountiful harvest to come upon both the just and the unjust. And why in the world would God do that? Because that's his heart posture towards humanity. We have to understand that God is a God of love. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of generosity. And often, the, 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 the entire script of our world is flipped where we make Satan the good guy and God the bad guy. And you see this pro all, all with, with pro pretty much every movie that's kicked out now where in fact the, the, the figure that represents the God of the Bible is actually the enemy to be condemned and rejected and Satan, the bad guy, is exalted. It's very Gnostic. It's a flip of the script when scripture is crystal clear that God has been nothing but good to humanity who has continually turned their backs on God. First Timothy 2, 3 through 4 tells us about the heart of God. He says this. He says, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. And so what we see about our God, what we learn in the scriptures is that God in his grace creates mankind. And even when mankind sins, God doesn't just create humanity and create creation, but he sustains. He sustains his creation. And then in his goodness, he showers blessing after blessing upon us. And that's what scripture makes clear is that God is not just creator, but also sustainer of the world. Often we have a false view that God just flicked the first domino of creation and then backed off 
and just kind of set the dominoes in motion and isn't intricately involved. And that's not what scripture teaches. He's both creator, but also sustainer. And this is going somewhere, but follow me on this journey. Colossians 1, 16 through 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And watch this. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Okay? He's sustaining all things. Hebrews 1, 2 through 3. In these last days he's spoken to us by his son, whom he pointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the whole world. He created everything. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus Christ. He's the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And then Acts 17, 24 through 28. Again, this is Paul in the context of speaking to Gentile pagans. The God creator who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. He's not Zeus or Hermes, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives life to mankind and breath and everything. It's his breath we're breathing right now. He created it. That's the reason we're alive. It's the reason we're here is because he's still sustaining the atmospheric oxygen levels in the heavenly places. It's because of his glory and his grace and his goodness. And he made, watch this, and he made from one nation, one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of the dwelling place. Why, why would God do this? That they should seek God. That's why he did this. That's why he's showering blessing upon them. It's like, it's like the, 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 the prodigal son. Imagine the, the, if he still had a connection to the prodigal where when there's that separation, the, the prodigal's, you know, drunken in the pigsty, that the father is still raining down provision upon him, saying, come home. Let my kindness lead you to repentance. I'm not the harsh, stern father you think I am. I'm good. Come home. The food's so much sweeter than that pigsty. Come home. It's got a continual blessing we see in all of these scriptures, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. And yet he is not far from each one of us. In him we live and move and have our being. This is what J.I. Packer says about the sustaining grace of God, and this is all going somewhere. Hold on, hold on. I'm reading to you John Murray and J.I. Packer, but it's for your good. Here we go. As the world order is not self-created, so it is not self-sustaining, as God is. The stability of the universe depends on God's constant divine upholding. This is a specific ministry of the divine son. And without it, this is what I'm getting, to, getting at, without it, every creature of every kind, ourselves included, would cease to be. Would cease to be. And the reason I share all of that is the same reason Paul did to the town of Lystra. He's saying that the true and living God alone is worthy of all glory and honor and power and all worship because he's the one who's spoken us to existence. He's the reason we're still here and breathing his air and he's doing all this because he's good. His posture towards us is good and he's calling us home to a far better feast, to a far better, better table, to a far better father than these false idols and gods that we could worship. So the first thing I wanna highlight is this, is that if this is true, that God is creator and sustainer of all things, what this does for us, it means that we have to get over ourselves and realize how dependent we are. It shatters any and all boasting that any human could ever dare bring. It shatters any puffing out our chest and bragging about our accomplishments, our strengths, our feats. It just shatters that. 
because all it takes is for, you know, I'm not sure how it works, but in the heavenly places, if there's like a control booth that talks about sustaining grace over like just the atmospheric conditions on the earth and an angel trips and spills their caramel, caramel frappi, frappuccino all over that thing and the oxygen levels go out of whack, we're all dead. We're all done. The reason we're here is because God is gracious and he's sustaining us to be here in his grace. He's sustaining us. The blood in our veins, the breath in our lungs, he created it and he's sustaining that created order so that we can live and move and have our being. That's insane. If that doesn't blow your mind and cause you to worship, I hope it does because that's the truth. And that is awesome. Kids ministry workers are running after uh, kids. Awesome, okay. Um, from my vantage point, okay. And the second thing, the second thing I want to hone in on, and I'm wrapping up here is this, is that God doesn't just create and sustain, but what we learn of God's heart is that in his goodness, he continually showers undeserved blessing upon humanity. The, the Greek verb that Paul uses to talk to the town of Lystra, as he says this, the verb when he says, filled your hearts with, your bellies with food and your hearts with gladness, is filled to the fullness, filled to the brim. And so what we have to realize, the crazy implication of that, whether you're here or not, or a Christian or not, is that God is after gladness of heart in your life. God is after joy in your life. Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. God is after your good. He is not a cosmic killjoy. God actually created pleasure. God actually created joy. God actually created taste buds. So that, so that when, you, when you bite into that delicious pecan pie and uh, uh, your, your dopamine levels are going crazy and, and you're just blown away, you can actually worship God in that moment. And thank him and saying that's actually a living witness, a living testimony of God's goodness that he actually created taste buds and he created food for me to enjoy so that he could fill my heart with, 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 with gladness from his creation that God set up all these witnesses. Psalm 19, 1 says the heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 19 says that the heavens and the intricacy and the beauty and the wonder of all of creation is continually preaching a sermon about the goodness and the glory of God, that he exists, witness after witness, crying out to us every day that he exists, he sustains the universe, and he provides blessing after blessing after blessing upon you because every good and perfect gift on this side of eternity is from the hand of the Lord, and it is something that undeserved sinners do not deserve. And so this Thanksgiving, and I'll wrap up with this, this Thanksgiving, slowly wrap up with this, this Thanksgiving as we are with maybe friends and family or some of you are having, uh, uh, with For the Nations, having uh, refugees and asylum seekers at, at your dinner table, which is awesome. I'm talking to Justin from For the Nations and just so encouraged as he's sharing all the people from Transit, Transit who are ministering to the, the people that For the Nations is ministering to this Thanksgiving. If our bellies are full and the food is delicious, and there's laughter at the table, that is a testimony to God's existence. That's a testimony to God's love for you. That's a testimony to God's favor upon you. And the proper response is for us to give credit where credit is due. Thank you, God, the giver of all good things. You have not cheated us. You have not gone short on us in your grace and mercy, but you continually lavish your kindness upon us. And so are we aware of the goodness of God that he showers upon us every single day of our lives? And are we giving credit where credit is due? And unfortunately, this is how the town responds. Uh, The kingdom of darkness, Satan comes and calcifies and hardens their hearts. Verses 18 through 20. Even with these words about God's goodness, 
and the gospel, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with, Bar- on with Barnabas to Derby. And so tragically, God showers his blessing upon them. The kingdom of God comes. Healing comes. A man is healed, and everyone knew who the, who the lame man was in the small town of Lystra. He's healed. Healing comes. Uh, 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 a true messenger, a true ambassador for the true king, Paul shares a good message of that you're worshiping vain idols. Turn to the living God. Trust in Christ for salvation. He's got a better table. He's got a better feast for you. He's been loving you even in your ignorance. And even in spite of all that, even in spite of all that, um, they reject the message. The Jews come from Iconium and stir up the crowd. And the same crowd that was soon worshiping them is now picking up stones to throw at them. To throw at them and they literally almost kill Paul. Uh, they, they, they get him to the point of death. Get him to the point of death. And, the, and, and here's God's kindness that he shows to the town of Lystra. Is months prior to this, months prior to this, God's heart for the nations, God's heart for Lystra, there's a prayer and worship night. They're praying, they're seeking God. And God knows that he's gonna send Paul and Barnabas to this small town. And only a few are gonna come to know Jesus, but the majority are gonna reject them. And Paul's gonna get stoned to the point of death. And you know what God's gonna do? He's, gonna, he's not gonna say, Lystra isn't worthy to receive my messengers. They're not worthy to receive healing. They're not worthy, he sends them anyways. He sends them anyways, just like he sent, and band, you can come forth. Just like he sent his one and only begotten son to a humanity that would reject the son. And not just reject the son and the message of salvation, but uh, mock him, rip out his beard, spit in his face, nail him to a cross. The, the provision that God sent, the feast that God sent, the salvation, the rescue, humanity rejected. And God so loved the world knowing this, that he still gave his one and only son. He still gave his one and only son. And so what I want us to, to reflect on in this um, last time of worship as we conclude here is, do you understand God's heart posture towards you? Do you understand God's grace and his kindness towards you? It would serve us well this morning to reflect, to take a moment to reflect on his goodness and his mercy and to realize, to realize from whose hand these things are coming from in our lives. If you're here today and you're married and you have a beautiful, whose hand was that that gave, you, that gave that to you? If your mouth is full of food, your belly's full of food, your fridge is full of food, whose hand provided that for you, right? If, if you have salvation, if you have the spirit of God inside of you, forgiveness of your sin, who gave that to you? It is all the Father who loves you. And if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ for the salvation of your sins and and being reconciled to God and knowing God, I would just encourage you today uh, and encourage you today to hear my words that there is one true and living God, creator of all things. And he has a feast waiting for you. He has so much better food, so much better wine to drink than anything that your, uh, your restless heart could search for. 
And uh, what's beautiful about the Christian faith is that God has provided salvation for us. Salvation is a gift. You don't have to muster up your righteousness. You don't have to worry about um, uh, being worthy enough to receive this love. It was in your unworthiness that Jesus died for you to bring you back home to the Father's table. So put your trust and faith outside of yourself and into Jesus today. And I'm gonna read this verse and I encourage us to reflect on who our God is and what he's been to us over the years so that this Thanksgiving, our hearts truly will abound in Thanksgiving, not just Thanksgiving in uh, an echo chamber, but Thanksgiving to where Thanksgiving is due to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings in whom we live and move and have our being. Psalm 145, eight through nine. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. This is who our God is. He's slow to anger, he's gracious, he's merciful, and he's good to all. And the response of the creation that he continually blesses is thanksgiving and praise and gratitude. So let's take a moment to do that today and I'll close this with communion. And in honor of thanksgiving, we'll conclude with this benediction. First Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you, Transit Church. Have a blessed Thanksgiving. Um, if you need or want prayer, prayer team will be up here on my right, your left, to pray for you. And we hope to see you next week. God bless.